0: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Book Club with Rachel. Today's book is Great Leaders Have No Rules by Kevin Cruz. So I wanted to read a leadership book because this is something I am personally trying to develop. I run my own therapy practice. And although it's a little different, I feel, than other businesses, Because working for a group practice in the past, I felt like it was a different dynamic than the corporate culture that I had previously worked in, in terms of I felt like I could really talk to my boss and that it was more of an equal relationship than some of the other places I've worked that were bigger. So, A, I think smaller businesses tend to have a better culture if they have a good leader. And that's because there aren't a lot of rules in place, which obviously is what this book is slightly talking about, but we'll get into that more. But in my in my own world, going into business for myself... You know, I just had me for the longest time, a couple of years. I was just working for myself. And then I started to hire people last summer and had a little bit of rapid growth. So this book was excellent. I really like the points in it. I would highly recommend it. If you're a leader in any kind of business situation, I think it could help you, help you be more relatable, be a better leader. Because really, things fall from the top down, so being a great leader is very important. So let's get started with the book! And point one is to abandon your open door policy and be a more deliberate leader with your schedule. So this reminds me of some of the books I've read in the past about time blocking and setting, setting times when you're available and letting people know that. Like you can call me every hour in the morning or I'm free all day on Wednesdays. Call me anytime and communicating this to your team. I also, when I read this, thought of college and how professors had times when you could come in and talk to them. Like everyone knows that professors have office hours. So I think it's a similar concept. And the reason the book promotes this as something to do having certain hours that you can reach your manager or leader is that having an open door policy actually reduces your productivity as a leader and hampers your team from building crucial decision-making skills. So if they're coming to you with everything, then they're not solving their own problems and giving them that space to do that is very helpful. In fact, statistics show that 50% of your team won't feel comfortable speaking up when they have an issue. So what does that mean? No matter how much you encourage an open door policy, they may not actually even use it. And some people, maybe some of the percent of the other 50%, may constantly interrupt your workday, so you really can't get into the flow of a project or block off time to get anything done. And basically, striking a balance between having an open door and time you Shut your door and do your own projects and leadership strategies is the best policy for productivity and helping employees, knowing that they can come to you at given times every week that works for everybody. All right. This this point I love because I'm not I'm not a big rules person. I'm going to I'm going to let everyone know that, but the book says, "Get rid of rules," hence the title. They only inhibit employees' performances. I have had many bosses in the past, and honestly, the ones that had a lot of strict rules and tried to rule by fear, I worked Most inefficiently and hated being there. So, this is just from my own experience that too many rules, and especially when the rule does not make any sense, that is what killed me as an employee. Like, if you have this rule, why? And I was, I definitely was (laughs) fine with the ones that made sense but the ones that didn't make any logical sense or they wasted my time, I really, really struggled with those. For example, in one of my old jobs, they were all about forecasting, getting the numbers so that they knew how much money was coming in and they would make all their salespeople, I used to be in sales, do all these spreadsheets to forecast when we already had it in a system they could pull, but they had us redo it (laughs) and give it to them in a different format. And it was just wasting our time. So that's an example of something that just doesn't make sense that your employer may make you do. The book also points out that rules make the majority suffer to protect the minority. And this, again, happens probably in bigger organizations. But let's say your employer blocks personal email or personal websites. So you can't go on Facebook during the workday. Well, guess what? Most people have phones so they can take that, take more breaks, go do their personal stuff. And it actually then reduces work time. Another point is rules shift the team's focus from outcomes to activities. So many managers forget that outcomes are what really matters. So getting caught up in micromanaging staff to increase productivity just just hampers their, their ability to do their work. So another example from an old job I had is we had best practices. So these are sort of standards you set with employees that this is the benchmark of how you should be performing. Instead of a strict rule, it's more of a a thing you strive for. And standards or best practices can be more of a team thing. Like we all need to uphold these together as a team versus dictating strict rules that only erodes trust and leads to micromanaging, which I don't think anyone likes. But who knows? Everyone's different. Maybe, maybe you do. Who knows? So moving on, another main point in the book is needing to be liked sabotages leadership, but wanting to lead right or correctly creates respect. So of course... It's human nature to want to be liked. Again, back to the caveman days. We don't want to be kicked out of the tribe. We want people to like us and have us as part of their group. So it's natural and normal to want to be liked. But as a leader, you have to think about you have a bit of a power differential. Whether you want to admit it or not, no matter how cool and down to earth you are as a leader, you're still not equal as like a coworker. So therefore, if you let go of being liked and focus more on doing what's right for your team, you will get respect. And respect is a good thing. In fact, the book cites that in a 2017 Gallup survey, they found that employees with close friends at work were the most highly engaged and provided a sense of belonging, had positive outcomes in the workplace. So it's great if your employees like each other and they're besties, they don't have to be besties with you. You want them to be close with their other coworkers. This makes them happy. It keeps them engaged in work and wanting to come back. So if you wanna do what's right as a leader, look at your values. What do you value in your company? what what are your values and lead by those values you don't have to be everyone's friend but it is nice to do the right thing and gain respect all right moving on to the next point an effective workplace is a loving one i love this one okay i know i'm a little cheesy but i do think this is one thing i have in spades i really care I absolutely care about my employees. I truly care about my clients. I care. I just can't help it. I care, I care, I care. And that's not a bad thing because the book cites that fear-based relationships, like a fear-based leader, might bully employees into working hard because they're really scared of you. But it really doesn't create a productive work culture. In fact, fear reduces creativity. It stifles innovation. It prevents open communication, causes a lot of stress. And when an employee is stressed, they're not at their best. So if you lead by fear, I would love if you rethought that and thought, okay, how can I actually start to invest and care about my employees and this can be the little things you do like saying hello to them in the morning when you come into the office if you all work together or writing them a nice note when you notice they did something well taking interest in them and their outside life like do they have kids do you know their partner's name do they love certain hobbies that you can ask about Like really invest in knowing them is feeling seen and appreciated at work. Another way to show you care is grow your employees. Don't be afraid of growing them. Schedule a one-on-one career path meeting every six months or so and engage them on what they want to develop in their career And help them get there. Help them grow. There's nothing wrong with that. And they'll respect you even more for that. Another big message in the book is to become obsessed with time. So what does that mean? Well, I'm going to go back to time blocking. Because high achievers do this. They time block. In fact, the book says get rid of all those to-do lists. Throw them in the toilet, <laughs> open your calendar, pick a date, time, and duration, and then book it for a task. So instead of writing that endless list of things to do, you actually block off time to do things. In fact, there's been research that found 41% of to-do list tasks never get complete. And then you're just looking at that lingering list and you're like, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that, which may hit home for me. I, I think I tend to do that. So <laughs> maybe I will go to time blocking. In fact, I think that's probably my weakest skill in this book is being obsessed with time. I tend to make that to-do list and then never quite complete it and just move things over. So Hate to admit it, but I have a couple things that have been lingering for months that I haven't actually done, but that's okay. I'm going to forgive myself and move on. The next point in the book is treating everyone the same is actually unfair. So yeah, people are different and everyone shouldn't probably be treated exactly the same because they're not all on the same level. For instance, you may have someone new that comes in and you don't treat them the same as the employee that's been around for years. Often new employees have to prove themselves a little bit and show that they can perform or how they contribute to the team. All that stuff may be something you learn about someone in the beginning and you treat them a little different. That's why the book says being flexible with employees is the best strategy. That means you can show a trusted long term employee leeway and maybe even take a harder line with a new employee to set those boundaries at first. And it may seem counterintuitive, but giving treatment to long term employees that may be a little bit more preferential will inspire others to gain your trust because they know you got their back. So don't also give your time equally to all your employees. You want to maybe grow and spend more time with some of your higher performers. And that's okay because unfortunately, employees at the opposite end of the spectrum will usually dominate your time and that can be wasteful for you. The book can sound a little harsh here, but every hour you spend with someone that is taking up your time that's not doing well is one hour less that you can invest in helping your superstar excel and coaching someone else who may have great potential. So what's next in the book? Embrace transparency. So how would you react if an employee sent you an email accusing you of being disorganized and unprepared for a meeting? What if they told you that your underperformance was unacceptable and must not happen again? Well, this happened to one of the CEOs at Bridgewater Associates, but instead of being offended that his employee called him out in this email, he was delighted because He also believed in accountability, even to the boss. So if he wasn't doing something right, he wanted his employees to hold him accountable because he believed in transparency within the business. And transparency really fosters trust. So being open, honest, Even going as far as showing some of the financials to the employees could be something that is very transparent in your business. Which is called open book management, where employees have full access to an organization's financial records. And once the staff understands those financials and how they represent profit and where you're spending the money, they can understand maybe your decision making and why it's so tough and how much you actually spend on things that they don't even know about. Another big thing to do to (laughs) help create a great work environment is be vulnerable. It fosters connection. If you've listened to any of Benet Brown's books, She's obviously the queen of vulnerability, but it really shows that you're listening, that you are being open. And unfortunately, vulnerability does not come natural to people because we want to protect ourselves and we don't want to show our weaknesses. Just think of that gazelle that is out for a walk, doesn't want to be the lion's dinner. But in fact, showing vulnerability at work helps you connect to people And this is a new concept because historically, showing vulnerability at work has maybe ended some careers because people have hid their illnesses or didn't tell their boss about personal things like getting a divorce. So they didn't know why someone was performing badly and they couldn't help them if that was the case. So instead... If you, as a leader, show that it's okay to be open and talk about things, then you can better help your employees when they're coming through hard times and support them through it. So hopefully you have some valuable information if you want to learn about leadership or how to implement any of these strategies. Definitely pick up the book. It's more detailed than my quick assessment of it. And I hope you have a great day. I'll see you next week on the Self-Improvement Book Club. Have a good one.